Looking to fast forward your practice goals? Commonwealth Financial Network can help you evolve your business by providing entrepreneurial capital, affiliation flexibility, and tailored business strategies. Everything you need to put your practice into the fast lane. Welcome to a better path to success. Welcome to Commonwealth. To learn more, visit Commonwealth.com. Commonwealth Financial Network is a member of FINRA, SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Hi, I'm Suzanne Syracuse. Welcome to my new podcast, Focused on the Future, Keys to Building a Profitable, Sustainable, and Impactful Business. And I'm excited to be partnering with WealthManagement.com on this. This series will focus on what firms need to embrace to ensure their growth and success for the future. And you'll hear from industry leaders and advisors on what is working for them. The content is directed at firms that are already successful and looking to stay that way, and also for those who are focused on taking their firms to that next level. I have a great lineup of guests in store, and today I'm talking with Leslie Tabor, Director of Education and Consulting at Charles Schwab. Welcome, Leslie. Thank you so much for being here today, and I'm really looking forward to talking with you. Thank you so much, Suzanne. I just a huge appreciation from Schwab for you inviting us to this conversation and congratulations on the podcast. We're happy to share some of the insights we've gathered through our relationships with the various RIAs in the industry. Wonderful. Well, I will get to a lot of that. I know you have a lot of great data and insights to share with our audience. So this podcast is all about the future and what firms need to do to be successful now and in the future and making sure you have the right people at your firm to help you execute on this success is critical. So in your role at Schwab Advisor Services, you work with literally thousands of advisors. So what are a few strategies and techniques that you've seen really work for the recruitment of top talent? So you mentioned data. Schwab Advisor Services releases an annual benchmarking report. We have well over a thousand firms that participate in that study every year. Our 2022 benchmarking report, 2023, by the way, we're weeks out from 2023. So uh, we'll have updated data, but I'll share with you some of the findings from last year's report. One is that recruiting staff ranked as the top priority for advisors. And this was the first time we had seen this happen in the 17 year history of our study. Now, staffing is wow. a firm's, yeah, right, right. Staffing is a firm's largest investment. It really comprises about three quarters of a firm's expense, right? And so some of the data that I'll share is a reflection of what the study highlights are practices that some of our top performing firms shared in their participation in our benchmarking study. The first is have a talent strategy. So one practice is why wouldn't you have a strategy for a line item that comprises three quarters of your firm's expenses, right? I know, right. It seems so simple, but I guarantee you most do not, right? (laughs) And that's what we found, right? So having a talent strategy that covers everything from recruiting, onboarding, development, retention is going to be critical, right? That strategy is really a part of a firm's engine 
that allows them to achieve its vision and objectives, right? So for example, having that intentional plan specific to sourcing and hiring and onboarding candidates, that practice might give firms some edge. And in that regard, you know, we're seeing over 60% of top performing firms have a specific documented strategy around sourcing and hiring compared to other firms reported only only 45% of them reported having a documented strategy. So top performing firms, again, they're top performing because this is one of the things that they are doing. The second thing I'll call out is, and this is something I'm hearing more in the marketplace as a benefit to firms in their talent efforts. And that is really having a documented employee value proposition or EVP. This EVP really describes the relationship between employees, even your prospective employees and the firm. It's really a pact, it's a pact between the two uh, that really details kind of the give and the get of that relationship. So what are firms offering its employees in return for the skills and, and experience and capabilities that those employees are bringing to the table? And, and here's the thing, your EVP, it's not an aspiration. It's not supposed to be aspirational, right? It is already part of your firm. It's who you are as a firm. It's how you act. It's what you offer. The exercise is to articulate it and importantly, to document it. And then it is your worst kept secret, right? <laughs> you want everybody to know about the value that employees get from working with your firm. I love that. I love that EVP. And so mm -hmm. what do you suggest? Could it be something as, as simple as, you know, kind of we promise to deliver X, Y, Z, you promise to deliver A, B, C. I would imagine you could have that even on your website, right? Exactly. And that's what we see firms most often doing is they're articulating typically on a careers page that, and I'll say that give, get side of the relationship, right? So really quickly, the give is defined as what employees actually contribute and thus the firm receives. So some of that might be you're articulating what employees are contributing from, let's say, a set of specific characteristics that describe the model employee at your firm. Maybe they align with your firm's values, right? So caring, someone who's empathetic, team-oriented. We even, I've even seen websites where some firm put, you know, you enjoy dad jokes and mom jokes, by the way, right? Uh, you enjoy a good cup of coffee, right? So there are firms that articulate, uh, articulate both kind of the fun side of the culture and the environment, as well as those specific characteristics. The get side, Right. So this is what employees get in return. And typically that is, of course, the overall compensation package. Right. Benefits, incentives, especially, you know, what does the firm have in place when it comes to career development? Again, going back to our benchmarking study, we're seeing that top performing firms, about 80 percent offer training and development programs and content and curriculum to their employees versus only 60 percent of other firms. Another key differentiator when it comes to your EVP, because kind of what I've said, shared already in terms of comp, career development, those might be considered table stakes. There are firms that have branded signature programs. So an example of that might be 
some some of you might hear that Schwab has a sabbatical program. After every five years of employment, you get a month off. I'm hearing more firms adopting that as well, right? After perhaps 10 years of employment, they are given uh, a good chunk of time off as a sabbatical. That could be a branded signature program. I know a firm that on an annual basis provides a stipend for technology needs that firm uh, employees might need uh, if they're working from home. Or even, get this Suzanne, I would love this, a wardrobe stipend, right? <laughs> like, it, right, as for client facing roles, you know, every year there is a specific dollar amount that's provided to employees as a wardrobe stipend. So these are what we would call kind of those branded signature programs that could help differentiate your firm and to include that in your employee value proposition. Oh my gosh, I absolutely love that. And you know, it's funny, my um one of my good friends uh, there he's on he's yeah. on he's on sabbatical and right now and I'm sitting there thinking mm-hmm. to myself, now I have my own business so it's, you know, it's irrelevant, but um back in the day I'm like that would have been amazing. What a benefit. And I think that type of differentiated benefits really is going to resonate with the next generation of talent even more, you know? Agreed, definitely with the next generation of talent. The other two things I just want to quickly call out, because I know we have so much to cover, but these are more tactical that I would call out. Um, When you think about recruiting and attracting talent, leveraging programs and platforms that are out there. There are two that I'll call out. One, of course, is something that we offer to our clients and prospective talent in general, and that's called RIA Connect Talent Advantage. This is really a networking platform that's designed to connect RIA firms with prospective talent. So firms and talent create their own account on this platform, you're providing specific details about your firm, about yourself as a prospective talent, and the tool matches individuals together, right? And so that is an opportunity to connect directly with talent as part of your recruiting efforts. Maybe it's one of the tactics, right, that firms outline in their strategy. And then the other, Suzanne, is something that I know you are involved with and uh, passionately involved with is the externship right? The externship is a program that really allows firms to leverage expertise and content from industry partners to help educate their perhaps newer employees, younger, you know, just entering the industry employees around what the industry is. What does it mean to be a financial planner? What are the experiences others are having that others can learn from? And this is something that Schwab um, Advisor Services, you know, we're a sponsor of the externship and we've been very pleased with the experiences that uh, that program has created for prospective talent as well as existing um, talent in the RIA space today. So those are kind of quicker hits that I would call out. Yeah, I love that. That First of all, th- those are really, really great, very specific bits of advice for those right. advisors that are listening. And let me ask a question about RAA Connect. Do right. How do you guys promote that to prospective employees? Well, one is through, for example, the externship, right? Okay. So Great. yeah, in, in our opportunity uh, to get in front of, I think the externship, and you'll keep me honest here, Suzanne, over 
close to 700 participants, I think, this summer. 800. Um, we, yeah. 800. That, yeah. In fact, yeah. it's so funny, Leslie. We had Hannah on the first episode, Hannah Moore, who created the program in episode one of this podcast. And it was right before the externship launched. So we finished up this year with um, 800 registrants. It's amazing, right? Yeah. And so to have the opportunity for 800 prospective talent to create a profile in RIA Connect, it is you know a, a one-stop platform for advisors to potentially connect with, you know, eight, hopefully 800 profiles are being uh, created on the platform through the externship program. But we have multiple touch points with colleges and universities and students directly that mm -hmm. allows us to create awareness about this platform being uh, their opportunity to connect directly with RIA firms. So that's one example. Yeah, that's great. And for the firms that are listening, um, I know just because I do some work with the externship, one of the main ways in which uh, how how do how do the new crop of externs hear about it year after year? It's referrals from current or from prior externs. So mm -hmm. there, those students or those young career professionals are sharing their experience with others. So I would say, like, make sure you're leveraging your interns, your newer professionals to your firm to reach out to their networks because they could be your best source of new talent coming into your firm. Um, exactly. Now, on the on the other side, on on uh, now we talked about recruiting. What about ma managing the talent once it's there? What are some strategies that you really have seen be successful? What are some programs? I know you mentioned career development. Um, mm -hmm. I know you guys offer some sponsorships, like to get their CFPs. But what right. what are some things that you've really seen advisors do, firms do that really work in that? managing and keeping that talent happy. Right. The, I'll, I'll call out a couple of things. I think the first one will be career paths. And, and this is beyond just documenting your career paths. I think what's worked well is most firms have nowadays a documented career path, I believe, right? That's what I'm seeing. Now, there are a handful of firms that I've interacted with that actually have created programs around those career paths that help to facilitate an individual or employee moving from milestone to milestone. So it's, it's more than just putting on a piece of paper what the milestones are to get to that advisory role and then putting that on your website. It's going beyond that and developing content, tools, resources, mentorship that allows that individual to maximize their success in moving from milestone to milestone. Gen Y and Gen Z, they're really looking for firms who are not only going to provide that roadmap to success, but they want you in the car, <laughs> in, in the car with them, right? You're along for the ride. You're their GPS, right? You're giving them guidance and direction along the way. And what we're seeing in our benchmarking, again, back to those top performing firms, 60% of top performing firms have defined steps to advancement versus 40% of all other firms, 
right? So again, these are things and exercises we're seeing top performing firms do that's resulting in some of the successes that they are having. The second after career paths is prioritizing education. Again, top performing firms. When we asked those participating in our benchmarking study, what were some of the professional development support they provide? Top performing firms, 80% of them provide staff training and skill development. And I'm seeing this in the form of many firms uh, standing up and creating their own in-house educational content. And I'll see, for example, it'll be the firm name and then university. So it'd be like Schwab University or Schwab U. Mm -hmm. And the firm is creating content, tools, and resources to help their employees develop the skills and and training necessary to succeed in their role and at that particular firm. Some of the other things in terms of education and and employee development are allowing individuals to attend industry events and conferences. Of course, performance reviews, um, that is key to employee development and helping guide your employees uh, through success. And then the last thing I'll, I'll just call out is also, again, something we're seeing our top performing firms do more often is coaching, right? And this one's a little different. It's not as tactical as programmatizing a career path or developing educational content because coaching is a behavior and it requires intentionality and conscious engagement, right? We have to consciously call on our coaching skills in those interactions with our team members, right? And coaching, it's not prescriptive. It's not telling someone you need to do X, Y, and Z, and then they just go and execute. Coaching is really asking individuals a set of questions that really helps and guides them to come up with their own conclusion around how they get to resolving an issue. So I think that is something I'm I'm also starting to hear more about, uh, firms implementing or trying to lean into coaching as well as mentoring their employees. Yeah, those are great examples. Um, I want to ask a follow-up question, right? So you talked about creating these educational content, you know, kind of branded universities. That's great if you're Schwab, right? You've got a million reasons. What if if you're like a smaller firm and and you're listening to this and you're saying, I can't, I don't have the time to do that. Like, are there Mm -hmm. things that are already built that they could tap into? Yes. I mean, uh, we're on the topic of, of Schwab here. I would say Schwab has educational content that firms can leverage, right? Uh, So I would say, I mean, I can go into what Schwab offers a little bit, but ultimately tap into your centers of influence, right? Your partners, ask your custodians, et cetera. Mm -hmm. For for sure. So like you guys, obviously, but I know a lot of mutual fund companies have Mm -hmm. those types of resources. And FPA has resources. Yeah. Mm -hmm. FPA industry associations. So I just want the, the the firms that are listening to know, like, you don't have to have all of this built in-house. In fact, the majority don't. The majority aren't going to have those resources. Right, but right. All of these industry partners, uh, the people that you do business with are developing out so many of these things. Even your fintech companies, the technology companies that you work with have training and and resources there. So I think that's a really, really, really important piece for firms to take away that there are, um, you know, you don't have to 
build it, you can plug into it. You can leverage. I mean, I know firms that tap into their centers of influence. So there was a firm, I think they were doing monthly talks with their COIs, right? So let's say they'd invite someone they work with around estate planning or life insurance or, or tax planning, tax attorneys, et cetera, having those experts come in and meet with the team for an hour, right? Those are opportunities for development. I thank you for pointing out that not every most actually are not going to have the ability to really build out a university of content and resources <laughs> for their employees. So definitely leverage what's available through your networks and other industry organizations as well. Love that. Great, 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 very tangible advice. So mm-hmm. um, shifting over to culture, right? We didn't used to hear much about it, but now it's front and center, which is great. Mm-hmm. So what are some best practices you've seen be effective from the many firms you deal with? And then even maybe what you've heard in the benchmarking study that you're referencing, what's really stood out to you? I'd like to kind of share something that I experience as an employee of Schwab, because I don't think it's, it doesn't matter what size firm you are. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, and I've been at Schwab for, for 24 years and this is not kind of groundbreaking, but ultimately one practice that undeniably shapes a firm's culture is really the tone at the top, right? Culture is born out of the, the words, the actions, and the behaviors of every single employee at a firm, right? And so that tone set from the top has huge, huge influence on how the rest of the firm is going to demonstrate, you know, their their behavior against the culture or towards the culture. Something that Walt Bettinger, our CEO, has said many, many times, but it really resonates with me, and he said it a lot, in particular during COVID. He said, at Schwab, we're people first, employees second. And I love this because, you know, he's putting the personal me over the professional me. And I this is something that I try to demonstrate in my own relationships with my team. And what that looks like for me is I try to make sure that I know what's going on in the personal lives of my team members as much as they're willing to share. And I really try to give them space for them to achieve how they define, you know, work-life integration or work-life balance. It also means that I'm giving immediate feedback, both the the good and tough feedback. It means that I'm also being transparent and vulnerable. Sometimes I'm sharing what's going on in my own personal life. So really trying to emulate behaviors that speak to the where people first, employees second piece. And just very quickly, I want to call out hybrid environments because that's really posed some challenges around what culture, how culture is redefined for firms. And, you know, Schwab's no different. We're we're adapting to what a hybrid environment means for our culture. What I would call out there is really thinking about making the time that you're spending in office intentional and purposeful, right? So that means if we're all agreeing to be in the office on particular days, that's the time that we are in team meetings. That's the time I'm doing one-on-ones 
in person with my team members. That's the time we might go out for a team lunch, or that's the time we might do a team volunteering event. So creating meaning behind the time we're in office instead of, yes, we're all coming into the office, but we're all staying in our own offices or cubes, right? Mm -hmm. I could do that at home. So just creating one consider is how you create intention around how you spend that in-person time when you're all in the office. And then also, how do you cultivate a culture for people who are remote? And in that case, I think that the tip there is really thinking about what and how an individual defines feeling the feeling of belonging and inclusion into the team and then trying to demonstrate uh, alignment to that feedback you're getting from that employee. Yeah, I'm so glad that you brought up the hybrid and the remote situation because Mm -hmm. it's one thing right back in the day before COVID and BC and when you everybody was in the office it was a requirement in most firms and again you can you can really establish that community that relationship all of that and really addressing and thinking about how you have, have had to change some of those um yeah. some some of the things that you would normally do now that you're hybrid and remote i think that's so so such an important thing for firms to kind of reassess mm-hmm. So thanks for sharing all that. And I love what Wald had to say. Your people first, employees second. Right, very right. important. Very, very, very important. Mm-hmm. But what about you personally, right? Based on your own experience as both a woman and Asian, what can be done to ensure that employees with diverse backgrounds are properly represented and included in company culture? Well, for this, Suzanne, I, I'll tap into an, uh, something that you do, which I love, right? And, and that is really leaning into your vulnerability and curiosity and asking questions, right? So I'm going to tell that story, Suzanne, of us okay, having great. dinner, all right? So we, <laughs> we were having dinner last month, uh, you know, after, after the Wealth Management Edge Conference. And Suzanne asked me, you know, how do you identify and I was more than happy to share, right? I identify as a woman first, then Asian, and then Filipino. But throughout my life, that it, it wasn't always in that order, right? I think, you know, when I was younger, it might have been different. And then early in my career, and then today, I think sometimes that order changed. And so that that's what I would recommend for folks. When you think about the diverse employees in your firm, how you cultivate them feeling included in your culture is to lean into your curiosity and lean into your vulnerability and ask questions that might feel uncomfortable. But if you ask questions that might feel uncomfortable, that allows you to learn more about the individual. And it will, especially if you're new to this, it might feel uncomfortable. I think if you come at it um, with that vulnerability and with the right intentions and sharing, verbalizing what those intentions are. I think, you know, I can't speak for every diverse individual, but for me, I am happy to answer those questions when individuals ask me. I don't hesitate because it's an opportunity to educate. It's also an opportunity for me to learn about them. 
So, I mean, I'm going to ask, I don't think I returned the question to you, Suzanne, when we were at dinner, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, so I'm going to ask you, you know, how do you identify? Right. I identify as a woman and yeah, I would say yeah. that's how I identify. I don't necessarily, yeah. you know, I'm Polish and Irish married mm-hmm. to an Italian <laughs> with yeah, a little bit yeah. of Jewish. So I, I don't, uh, you know, I, I guess I'm a, a melting pot or what have you, but yeah. I think, you know, I'm glad you shared that story because it was funny. Leslie, you and I have known each other for 10 plus years and I'd never right. asked you that question, not because I wasn't, I wasn't curious about it, but because I, it was, it was not like a, question that I think anybody felt safe asking, right? Right. So as a lot of these racial issues have come more into the forefront, they're becoming more, I would say, talked about. And then it's it's really up to us to make it safe to have these conversations and not be scared to do it. So like, I was glad to learn about how you identified and you even made a comment that some people thought you were Hispanic. You know what I mean? Right, and, exactly. And so, <laughs> and which is so, why, you know, which I love, and it opens up the door to conversation, and I can correct, right? Could correct them and say, you know, as in fact, I'm I'm Asian, I'm Filipino, right? So, yes. Now, I'd love to just ask um, if you can share a few of the maybe the top two best practices around developing inclusive leadership skills. I think you guys did something at Schwab where you um, yeah. you created a program. What, what were like the top two things that those that are listening to this can take away and, and maybe implement or think about for themselves? Yeah, no, thank you for mentioning the, the program. So we do have a DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion consulting program for our RIA clients. It's called Building an Inclusive Firm Culture. And one of the practices, you know, it's a five-month workshop series, but one of the practices that we dive into with participants is inclusive leadership, right? And inclusive leadership is not just something for leaders. Everyone at a firm can demonstrate inclusive leadership skills. So there are a handful that I would encourage folks to, to look into what makes them inclusive leadership. The two I'll call out. The first is recognizing your own biases, right? So what that might look like is, let's say you're getting ready for a team meeting where you're going to be talking about a client issue or brainstorming how to resolve a particular issue. Prior to that meeting, you might ask yourself, you know, how must I remain vigilant in recognizing my personal biases in my everyday interactions or how my personal biases might come into play in the meeting, right? So that's something you might ask yourself prior to the meeting. During the meeting, you might ask those around the table, you might say, I recognize that everything I'm throwing on the table might actually be rooted in my own biases, my own experiences, my my own perspectives. Does anyone have a different perspective? Because everybody in the, around the table has different experiences. Yep. And the value is going to be to tap into that. So again, one practice is recognizing your own bias. Another might be, and I mentioned this earlier, is really leaning into your curiosity, right? So similarly, what that might sound like if you're stepping into a meeting is think to yourself, how am I going to encourage or cultivate 
gathering new information and inviting others, other perspectives, right? During the meeting, what that might sound like is you ask, you know, folks around the room, you know, what don't I know that everybody thinks that, you know, I should know, right? It's really leaning into that curiosity. So those are two, two I would call out. I love, I love both of those. So important. It also um, stimulates engagement um, mm. really with your, with your team and members and learning more about them. And really, again, that whole people first, employee second, it really yeah. helps cultivate that. So um, those are great bits of information. Leslie, you've been chock full of information today. I love it. <laughs> um, that I can't believe we're actually at the last question of the podcast. And I ask everyone this, what is your last line with the title and theme of the podcast focused on the future in mind? What is your last line today? What key takeaway do you want to leave our audience with? Say, develop or revisit and update your talent strategy. Again, three quarters, you know, we're finding three quarters of a firm's expenses have to do with talent. And so have a plan with how you're going to maximize and be efficient with those expenses. And your talent strategy is going to shape that. So spend the time to revisit your talent strategy or develop one. Yep. What great advice. So important. Again, people, people, people. They're usually people. the key, one of the main keys to the right. business. So right. so invest in that. Um, and I love that statistic, 75% of the expenses. That's uh Sounds about yeah. right. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, and it sounds like common sense, but a lot of people don't do it. So right, right. Uh, yeah, I love that. Thank you so much for sharing a lot of that insight from your benchmarking study and just so much information on culture, inclusivity, talent management, and recruiting techniques, just to name a few. And most importantly, for me anyway, for sharing your personal experience with us today. I'm Suzanne Syracuse. So Absolutely. Thanks everyone for listening. And I hope this episode leaves you feeling even more excited to be focused on the future. Thanks, Leslie. Thanks, Suzanne. Looking to fast forward your practice goals? Commonwealth Financial Network can help you evolve your business by providing entrepreneurial capital, affiliation flexibility, and tailored business strategies everything you need to put your practice into the fast lane. Welcome to a better path to success. Welcome to Commonwealth. To learn more, visit commonwealth.com. Commonwealth Financial Network is a member of FINRA, SIPC, a registered investment advisor.